I'm Carson Horn, and it's Wednesday at 10, which means it's time for Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. So grab your toilet paper and let's get rolling. Welcome into Talking Tumors. It is March 1st, and while it may not be officially spring, it is spring in all of our minds here in Auburn, Alabama, as it has been consistently with highs in the 80s here, quite warm. And football is back in Auburn. Spring practice started on Monday, and it was still technically February then. They'll have their second practice of spring this afternoon. Baseball is in full swing. Basketball, the most important month of the season for college basketball, is here. March Madness will be coming up. We're going to talk about where Auburn sits. They're starting to ride the fence a little bit on whether or not they will even be in the tournament, something that I don't think any of us expected at this point. We'll dive into that. We'll talk about baseball coming off another series win this past weekend against USC and what their season looks like ahead, but we're going to start today talking about Auburn football. We have not talked about Auburn football on the show here in a couple of weeks, so I figured, look, we'll lead off the show with it talking about some notes from this first uh, practice on Monday, some of the things Hugh Freeze discussed in his press conference that he had uh, after practice, I believe it was, on Monday evening. There's a lot of excitement around the program. You can feel it, you know, seeing the players on campus uh, each and every day in, in classes. I, I, whenever there's a new head coach and a, a new group comes in, it, it gives everybody a fresh start. And it's exciting for everyone because the way you may have been seen and perceived by the previous uh, staff is not necessarily going to be the same way that you'll be seen or perceived by a new staff. It, it's, an, it's new opportunities for you to showcase yourself. And I think that's why there's a lot of excitement. You're still in that honeymoon phase, if you will. That'll change. By the time we get to the end of spring, a lot of guys will will, will feel like uh, like they do in any other circumstance with any other uh, coaching staff or team uh, previously. You know, they, they, they had their new opportunity, and maybe and for some guys it will benefit them. Guys that you hadn't heard much about may end up being major contributors. Some guys that weren't contributors for the previous staff still won't be contributors for this staff, and maybe they feel like, uh, they need to jump ship and transfer elsewhere. There's going to be some attrition, no doubt. But right now, you're just one practice in. Everyone's feeling good about their opportunity uh, to showcase what they can offer uh, to this team. So the honeymoon phase, what I'm saying is the honeymoon phase will end for both the fans and the players. It ends sooner for the players than it does the fans. For fans, it typically uh, lasts a little bit into the uh, first season. But here we are. So some of the notes that... Uh, Things that stood out to me from the first spring practice, I'm basing off of, of things I've read. I give credit to uh, Justin Hoekson of On3 Sports, uh, Auburn Live there. Uh, if you're a subscriber there, a lot of good notes on just a short 20-minute practice viewing that the media had. Uh, these were some of the things that, that he talked about, and there's some things that I've read uh, elsewhere as well. But some of the things that Hugh Free said before we get into the practice that stood out to me in his post-game, uh, post-game, post-practice press conference, uh, he said there was no depth chart. Every coach says that in spring for the most part. I don't necessarily believe it. It's a little bit more believable with a new staff. I talked about, I mean, I just got done talking about the new opportunities uh, to showcase your talent if you're a new player. But to say that the coaches don't have an idea in their mind, you got to put somebody out there first when you're going through team drills. He said everyone's going to get equal reps in spring. 
first string, second string, third string, everyone's going to get the same amount of reps. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, then yeah, I guess there is no depth chart. But again, somebody's got to go out there first. Are you putting the, the third the third team out there first? Uh, you know, you putting the true freshman out there first? Uh, you know, so I, I get it. I understand the saying he doesn't want anybody to feel like they've got a secure spot because truly no one does. There's no one that, you know, has a spot sealed. But I, I don't necessarily agree that there that there's no depth chart. Uh, I, I, there's certainly an idea, and I think you're going to see it's going to change. There's no doubt about that. It's going to evolve as you see more guys get reps and how they do and how they perform in practice. And it'll really change after you start getting pads on. They haven't gotten pads on yet. So they're that first group that we'll talk about just in a second on the offensive line. That's just kind of what they're thinking. That's their original idea. Um, I know coaches try to be open-minded, but we're human. And it's hard for us as humans to be open-minded, so to think that these coaches don't have an idea of what they want to do as far as the depth chart goes will be naive of, of any of us to think. So it's a great thing to say, and you should be saying that to, to the players, but it's only a half-truth if you ask me. Uh, the other thing uh, that stood out to me, he talked about the the energy, as I mentioned, uh, was really great. He said it felt like fall camp, usually in spring. Look, I, I, as a high school uh, player, and I still hold this opinion. I really don't like spring practice at all for high school football. I, I, I have, I think it's dumb for high schoolers to to have the spring uh, season, especially with high schoolers mainly playing multiple other sports. I really think it's dumb. I, I don't think it should be uh, allowed in the amount of time that goes into summer as well for football. I just don't like it. I don't. I don't think it's necessary. Uh, I know a lot of people would disagree with me on that. But as far as high school goes, I think it it is dumb. But I say all that to say, typically the energy for spring is more of a, I have to do this more than I get to do this. And I think the the feeling that Hugh Freeze is saying is this was a fall camp feeling of I get to do this. It's, you know, and also spring you don't have a game. You know, well, you have the spring game, but you don't, you're not competing against somebody else. When you get fall camp, it's like, oh, it's on. The season's starting here in a month. You know, you don't have that feeling with spring, so what's your motivation? Your motivation has to be within to get myself better, to put myself in a good position going into summer, going into fall camp. So the fact that the energy was comparable to fall camp was a really good sign uh, for Hugh Freeze that these players are bought in. For now, they are excited about the opportunity that's uh, being given to them, despite not having the opportunity to play a game later on, you know, in a month from now. Instead, they'll, they'll play against each other come April 8th. But that, uh, as we all know, that's not the same as playing an, an opponent. So that was good. That stood out to me. Uh, he also said the physicality of the team was better than he expected. That's also good. We've talked about this roster Plenty of times. We've talked about it a ton. This roster still has a long way to go to be the program that Hugh Freeze wants this program to be, to be able to compete at the highest level with the Georgias of the world, with the Alabamas of the world, with Ohio State, with Clemson. To be able to get to that level, Auburn has to pick it up in recruiting and get the type of athletes and guys up front to be able to compete. Because you can have the best scheme that you want to in the world, but at the end of the day, you've got to have the dudes. You've got to have the scheme too, but you've got to have the dudes. And and so I think Hugh Freeze was knew that this pro, this program, this team, wasn't where it needed to be. They've gotten it to a better spot. It's still not where it needs to be physically. So that was a good sign, though, that he was like, okay, we actually look a little bit more talented. We look a little bigger out here than I expected, a little faster here than I expected. That's a good sign. Uh, that, that means that either the – 
strength and conditioning uh, program uh, is working really well, which I think it is, or that you brought in some really talented guys, maybe more than you thought, or the roster wasn't as bad uh, as you thought. I think there's part truths in all of that. Uh, there may be more talent on this roster than we may have given this team last year credit for. I do also think Auburn brought in some talented players, and I do think the new strength and conditioning program has been a good thing uh, for for this team. Uh, Robbie Asher doing a neat thing, as I mentioned on Three Sports earlier uh, for Auburn Live. He's writing a spring diary. Uh, he mentioned how in in that diary there, if you check it out on on Three Sports, he he mentioned the lifts and the explanation. They're not just going in and lifting. They're being they're the uh, strength and conditioning program is explaining how these lifts are going to benefit them. And I think that's awesome. Guys should be understanding. When you understand things, it's going to make you a lot more motivated. When you can see the end result, when you can understand how this is going to help me get to the end result, you're going to be a lot more motivated than if I just go in there, I've got to go work out today, and I've got to do these lifts today. Explaining and talking and showing how things work it, it goes a long way psychologically in, in the way these players are thinking. I think that's a great thing, and and hopefully we'll see a benefit uh, of that. Every, everybody has says they have the best strength and conditioning program in the country. They do. People do it different ways. Uh, it, it is what it is. I don't know, but it does. It it certainly is a big role in what type of team you're going to have, and it's a very important role. And then finally now, I want to talk about the biggest thing that I have my eye on, and that's the offensive line. I know the biggest the biggest thing that everyone else is watching in quarterback situation, is Robbie Ashford going to win the job? Is Auburn going to bring in a transfer? I'm watching the offensive line because I think that's where Auburn's going to have the chance to be seven, eight, seven to eight win team, maybe make a jump and get that get that ninth win. But if they can overachieve this year, it's gonna ha- it's gonna come down starting with the offensive line and Auburn be able to get back to running the football at a high level. So this was the the five again, no technical depth chart. This was the first group of offensive linemen out on the field for Auburn on on Monday. At left tackle, it was Dylan Wade, the transfer from Tulsa. No surprise there. We expect, excuse me, we expected that. Uh, I I have little. Um, doubt that he will be the starter uh, come first game of the season for Auburn at left tackle. At left guard was Tate Johnson. If you're saying, well, that name sounds familiar, but I, I can't replace him. He was the starting center last year for Auburn before he went down with an injury. He is back. It looks like he is going to play guard, maybe back up at center, because at center, you've got Avery Jones, the transfer from East Carolina, more than likely will get that starting center job, which is why I believe Tate Johnson has been moved back to guard. And then at right guard had Cam Stutz. He and Keandre Jones, Keandre Jones who transferred to Florida State, he and Keandre Jones rotated last year at guard. Cam Stutz was there, um, a veteran guy, just a guy who really hasn't been great, uh, but still a really, a really big dude. Maybe he continues to develop and can be a better player this year for Auburn. We'll see. At right tackle, Gunnar Britton. Also believe he will be the right tackle this year, uh, come the first game of the season for Auburn, the transfer from Western Kentucky. Uh, we talked about him before in a breakdown. Still got some ways to go as far as run blocking, but a very good pass blocker. I expect him to be a starter at tackle. 
Not mentioned in that list with Jeremiah Wright, who is off to the side doing some other things. I fully expect him to be a starter at one of the guard positions. Uh, I don't I don't know exactly what was going on, if it was injury-related, or he was just doing something different during that time. Uh, but he was not, in at least in the 20-minute viewing period, he was not with that first group that was out there. I don't put too much stock into that, though. I fully believe that he will be a, a starter for this Auburn uh, offensive line. The key this year is getting the five best guys out there for me. It's not necessarily where they might fit best positionally. For instance, Xavion Miller. I didn't mention him. He wasn't in that first group. He, he, Body-wise, he fits more as a tackle. But if he's one of your five best offensive linemen, and you know that at right tackle I've got Gunnar Britton, at left tackle I've got Dylan Wade, then I'm putting him in there at guard. Whether that's left guard, whether that's right guard, it's about getting the five best guys in there. And if that ends up being Tate Johnson and Cam Stutz, then great. If that ends up being Xavion Miller at tackle, and uh, then great. And maybe he beats out a Gunner Britton. I doubt that. But it's all about getting the five best guys. Because right now you can't worry as much about where they fit best positionally. It's just we've got to get guys in there who can move bodies. And we'll work with the mechanics. We'll work with the technicality of of being a guard versus a tackle. We'll deal with that. We've just got to get the most talented guys out there this season. As you move forward as a program, you hope that eventually you get to the point where you don't have to uh, do this, where you don't have to move a tackle to guard when they really fit better at tackle. But but where Auburn is talent-wise, especially on the offensive line, they've got to do what they've got to do to put the best product out there uh, on the field that gives this team the best chance to succeed, to win, to run the football, to protect the quarterback. Uh, that's what it's going to be all about uh, this season for Auburn. That's going to wrap up our, our spring breakdown and notes uh, this time around. I had some more on quarterbacks, but look, we're going to have plenty of time to discuss this quarterback battle uh, coming up. So I, I'll wait on that. I'll hold off on that. If we do have some more time later on, we may come back to it. If not, we'll cover it. Uh, on the next show and shows moving forward throughout the spring. That's why I'm not not too worried about getting ahead and talking about it yet because we're going to have ample opportunities to do so uh, as far as the, the quarterback battle goes. And we'll talk about more positions moving forward as well. A lot of question marks, as we know, on this roster at every position. I went to start listing the dif- the different positions and, and different question marks I had. And like, I've got question marks at pretty much every position, which is scary. Uh, but it could also be a good thing. So we'll see how it all plays out, but we've got to go to our first commercial break. When we get back, we're going to talk Auburn baseball. So you'll, uh, you'll want to stay tuned for that. Uh, a lot of fun conversations to follow here on Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. Welcome back to Talking Tumors now here on Weagle 91.1. So Auburn got another Big series win this past weekend against USC. As we mentioned on the show last week, Auburn was originally supposed to travel to Los Angeles, but due to some weird weather out there, USC ended up traveling to Auburn uh, to play this series. We talked about resume building a lot for basketball and matters in baseball as well, especially with the level of difficulty that is the SEC. Getting big non-conference series wins are huge, and Auburn has gotten two to start the season against Indiana, and now here against USC. 
they almost had the sweep. The final game ended in a 12 to 12 tie. They couldn't go to extras because USC uh, could not miss their flight. They had to get back out to Los Angeles. So ended 12 to 12 tie. Would have been awesome to be able to get a sweep uh, in this series. However, didn't happen. But nonetheless, just so just another big and uh, fun weekend at Plainsman Park. And uh, so let's look at how these games sh- uh, shook out this weekend. The first one, Auburn won 5-3 to three in Game 1. Chase Alsop got the start, uh, a, a first start of the weekend for Auburn. As Again, he allowed one earned run, so a better start than his first outing. That was good to see from him through 3.2 innings. Um, and then Auburn had a, a big four-run fourth inning that kind of led them to the vic- uh, led them to the victory. Uh, Cole Foster and Ike Irish both had big games at the plate uh, in that one. Then Will Cannon got the final four outs, so Auburn was able to finish that one up five to three in a close one. Uh, USC did jump out uh, to an early lead, and then Auburn was able, like I said, by the big uh, four-run fourth inning to come back and, and get the win. Uh, in this one, in game two, Auburn won this one 12 to six, a higher scoring one. The, the big storyline with game two was Joseph Gonzalez. He ended up being a late scratch due, uh, late scratch due to some shoulder, um, issue soreness. Nothing, nothing major. I don't think it was anything to, uh, be too concerned about. I was standing next to him yesterday. Uh, quick story here was standing next to him yesterday in my, uh, anthropology class. We were, and doing activity with some uh, skulls, and uh, I, I wanted to ask him about his shoulder, but he was uh, in, invested in looking in those skulls, uh, skulls and doing the activity, so I didn't. But he se- he seems to be doing well. I, you know, not wearing anything on the shoulder or anything like that. I think early in the season, just want to be very very careful with him. He is Auburn's best pitcher. Uh, you know, uh, they seem to want to start him in that second game. Last year, they liked to start him in game three. Uh, I know there's a philosophy behind why they don't like him going in game one. Maybe it's trying to get a better matchup. Uh, Chase Austin's a very good pitcher, don't get me wrong, but Joseph Gonzalez is the best pitcher uh, on this team. And uh, But Auburn likes to start him, looks like, this year in game two. We'll see if he's able to go this weekend against Lipscomb. Hopefully he's able to. Like I said, his first outing, he was outstanding. I think Auburn's still going to be very careful with his pitch count, how much they allowed him to throw, especially if he was experiencing some tendonitis. But suffice to say, I wouldn't freak out too much about it. I think he's fine. Just being careful. We're still early on in the season. Don't want to push things. Want him to be crisp and feeling real nice uh, come conference play. But stepping in there for this role was Christian uh, Herberholtz, who had an outstanding outing uh, coming in as a late starter, Typically a reliever for Auburn. He pitched four innings or a midweek starter. He pitched four innings, only gave up two earned. Really, really good outing to, to come in on late notice and do what he did. Uh, very, uh, very good job by him. He deserves a lot of credit for Auburn getting this win. Um, the bullpen didn't have a strong of a game. Uh, Tommy Bell did not do very well. I don't think he made it out of the inning or recorded a single out. Uh, tough outing for him he's done better in his other outings I'm not too concerned about that just a, a bad night for him uh, John Armstrong also not his best night he gave up three earned and that which allowed this game to be uh, closer than it should have been for a while but luckily Auburn uh, continued to hit the ball well in this game big game for first baseman Cooper McMurray uh, I, you know Auburn's been pl- platooning there at first base 
Uh, Cooper Murray had not done, McMurray, excuse me, had not done much at the plate so far this season, but he went three for four in this game and had three RBIs. So good to see from him uh, step up and at, at the plate and have a big game there. And then Will Cannon, back-to-back days, he recorded the final four outs of the first game, recorded the final five outs of game two. He looks to be the guy who Butch Thompson wants to go to to finish out games. He's going to be the closer, it looks like, this this year. Again, having to replace some big-time arms, as we mentioned in our season preview, uh, Auburn is this, this season. So, it, Will Cannon looks good right now. I hope he continues uh, to be a guy who just completely shuts down lineups late in the game, a guy that's pretty much unhittable. If he's able to be that for Auburn, that is huge to step up into that role. So good to see from him and to do it in back-to-back days, too, to throw you know, 20, I think he was around 30 pitches in game two, and to be able to come back and throw, get five outs uh, in, excuse me, around 30 pitches in game one, then be able to come back and get the final five outs in game two on uh, no rest. Very impressive from him. And then in game three, uh, I mentioned it was a 12-12 to tie, just a wild game. Auburn got up big. Well, they fell down big. They fell down by four uh, early in the first, gave up. Four in the first inning, Zach Crotchfeld got the start. That's important to note. Jumped ahead of myself a bit. He got the start. Again, he pitched really well last weekend when I mentioned that Drew Nelson really struggled in his first start. Zach Crotchfeld came in, looked really good, threw really well. So he got the start in game three. He gave up four earned in the first inning. It was a rough first inning. But after that, he did not give up another hit. Ended up throwing uh, 3.2 innings. Maybe it was nerves. I don't know. He just had to sell in. But once he did, he looked really good out there. Uh, but just a bad first inning to overcome. Uh, we'll talk more about that here in a bit. But Drew Nelson uh, came in, had another tough tough outing for him. Gave up four earned on four hits out of relief. All three freshmen pitched in this game. Hayden Murphy pitched yet again as well. Threw uh, 1.1 innings, zero earned. Just not much I could take away from him. Have not seen enough from him in either of his outings so far this season. He has not thrown a ton. So uh, tough for me to really get a strong opinion on him. Uh, Chase Isabel out of the bullpen did not record an out. Did not throw uh, very well for Auburn out of the bullpen. And this one uh, allowed USC to to tackle some runs. Uh, So tough outing for him out of the pen. Ike Irish went four for five in this game. Uh, Justin Kirby went two for six with seven RBIs. Absolutely incredible. Uh, wow. Uh, seven RBIs is very impressive, especially only on two hits to get to rack up that many RBIs is even more impressive. Cole Foster uh, went three for five uh, in this game. But like I said, USC came back late and tied it when Auburn was able to take a, a decent-sized lead after that first inning. And it ends up ending in a tie. So disappointing that Auburn could not get the sweep. But nonetheless, a positive series for this team to continue to build on moving forward. Some of my series takeaways. Got to start with Ike Irish. He continues to be a stud, hitting near 600 so far on the season. Back-to-back SEC Freshman of the Week honors. Just a phenomenal hitter. He's continuing to DH. He has not uh, caught yet. I don't know that he will uh, or not this season. He may just DH all the way through. We'll see if he ever does play the field. But, man, what he brings at the plate, nothing short of phenomenal, uh, continues. Every game is as almost, for the most part, has been a uh, 
or maybe every game exactly, I can't remember, but he's recorded more than one hit in pretty much every game, if not every game, so far this season. How about Cole Foster? Him and Cason Howell have had cold starts this season. Cason Howell's still trying to get it figured out, but Cole Foster seemed to flip the switch this past weekend. He went 6-for-13 in the series. Really good to see from him. Auburn needs him and Cason Howell to get it going because they are veteran guys in this lineup who have the potential to be really good uh, hitters. So good to see from Cole Foster, uh, to see him getting going. Hopefully, Cason Howell will follow suit. Then Justin Kirby. We weren't sure if Auburn would have a home run hitter on this team. Well, if this trend continues, that's going to be Justin Kirby because it it feels like every if he gets a hit, it's a home run. He is uh, hitting bombs right now out of the hitter-friendly Plainsman Park, short fence and center. Of course, you've got the big wall and left, but he is tearing it up uh, as far as home runs go. Average still not super high, but if he's hitting bombs, I don't think anyone uh, is going to care that much. So good to see from him to continue to hit home runs and add some power to this lineup. We'll, we'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Butch Thompson continuing to fiddle with the lineup a little bit, trying to figure out how to best place uh, Ike Irish and Justin Kirby in that lineup, where to put them exactly uh, to match up that power and the uh, contact that you're getting from Irish. So we'll see how that plays out. And then the final takeaway is the third pitcher spot. It's not too concerning yet, but it is a bit concerning. Uh, Drew Nelson got the start in the third spot in the Indiana series. Zach Crotchfelt got the start in this series. Neither did well. Like I said, Crotchfelt settled in after that first inning, but you can't afford to give up four in, in the first inning, especially once you get an SEC play. just can't happen. So it is concerning, that, but it's still early, and they still have time to get this figured out. Maybe they have to go to somebody else. Maybe it's not going to be one of the freshmen that, that steps up and gets that final third starting role. I hope it is. I still hope that, that Drew Nelson can get it figured out and that Zach, or Zach Crotchfeld uh, gets the final job. They've still got to get opportunities. If you're Butch Thompson, he's going to give them opportunities to continue to pitch, continue to battle it out. Um, to have two poor outings is, is going to be tougher on Drew Nelson. Uh, than it is for Zach Crotchfelt because he was so good his first time around and because he was good after the first inning in this start. I, I would say he's got the leg up. As I mentioned with Hayden Murray, just haven't seen enough. Hayden Murphy, haven't seen enough from him to really know. So maybe he gets the start this weekend uh, against Lipscomb. We'll, we'll see how that all plays out. But it is a little bit concerning for me uh, not having that role completely solidified yet. But I'm not too concerned, just a little bit. But Auburn baseball, as I mentioned, is playing Lipscomb this weekend. They play Florida A&M tonight at home. Then they'll have a three-game series with Lipscomb. They'll start SEC play on March 17th. Uh, So, and that'll be against Arkansas. So they still got a few more series, two more series, and then a couple midweek games to, to get things under their belt and try to get them as best figured out as they can before SEC plays and that that starts and that really starts to grind uh, for this baseball team and what is a loaded SEC. So that'll wrap up our baseball coverage. When we get back, we're going to dive into Auburn basketball. Big night tonight. Iron Bowl in the Hardwood Part 2. We'll preview that. We'll recap this past week and discuss where Auburn is in the NCAA tournament. A lot of info 
a lot of thoughts coming, so make sure to stay tuned here to Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why services. Welcome back to Talking Tumors now. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know I typically talk basketball at the start because that's the most pressing thing going on with Auburn right now. But I decided to move it to the end today because I didn't want to put myself in in a uh, frustrated mood, if you will, to start out the show. So I'm going to it now. I'm not going to go into detail of the recap of the Kentucky game. I don't think any of us as Auburn fans want me to do that. I don't think you want to listen to that. So I'm not going to do it. I'll give a quick synopsis of this past week, and then we're going to move on, and we're going to talk about the reality of Auburn basketball and where this team sits at the moment. So let's talk about quickly this last week. Auburn played Ole Miss, and they played Kentucky. And they got the win at home against Ole Miss, but it wasn't pretty. Now give Ole Miss credit. They played very well. They played another tough game last night against Texas A&M. They ended up firing their head coach, Kermit Davis, after the Auburn game. But this is a team that, that still seems to be playing motivated right now. Uh, and they've got good guards. Matthew Morrell's a very good player. Uh, he played very well against Auburn yet again. And Auburn found themselves trailing uh, in the latter minutes of this game and in what would have been a, a death blow to their NCAA uh, chances of making, you know, making the tournament if they had lost that game to Ole Miss, and they just about did. They found a way to win. you got to give them a lot of credit for that. Wendell Green was clutch there at the end, scoring 13 points in the last few minutes, knocking down all his free throws. That was very important. That uh, was the reason Auburn was able to survive that game. They didn't play poorly, but they didn't play well enough. And, And because Auburn won that game in the fashion that they did, it ended up causing them to drop in the net because, again, net's all banked, uh, all based on analytics and metrics. So close losses can move you up, and bad wins can actually move you down. So Auburn fell down in the net after that win because of the way it was, but they still won it. And that was important that, nonetheless, they were able to come out with a victory against a bad team at home to keep their NCAA tournament hopes alive. And then they had a big opportunity to go to Kentucky in what I thought and I look really dumb now, I thought that they could match up with Kentucky uh, and maybe pull off the upset. Well, they got beat by 32. Uh, Kentucky's playing really good basketball right now. They are. They are They are playing very well. They are not the same team that they were at the beginning of the season. And I mentioned that they were playing well. I, I thought that Auburn could compete better with them, but give Kentucky credit. Auburn didn't play well. There are certainly things Auburn could have done better. Kentucky, though, they shot the ball really well. Uh, then they haven't been doing that. Casey Wallace broke his streak of consecutive missed three-pointers in the game. And when a team's shooting really well, it typically doesn't. Uh, it typically not good. You see it in some of the Auburn games we've seen this year. Auburn typically not a great shooting team. When they do shoot well, uh, it can be dangerous for whoever they're playing. So credit to Kentucky. That was ugly. Auburn could lose that game and not be affected that much. But because they lost it by 32, had a big effect on their NCAA tournament hopes and where they stand right now in the tournament. That loss knocked Auburn to the bubble, back on the bubble with that loss. And really they're sitting on, according to Joe Lenardi and uh, CBS Bracketology, the last four buys, meaning there there's eight teams that are, well, 12 teams that you put on the bubble. You go, if you, if you don't understand exactly how it works, I'll explain it here. There's about 12 teams that are up, out on the bubble. 
16 if you really want to go even further. But you've got four teams who are called the first four out. Those are top seeds in what will be the NIT. They're teams that just missed the tournament. Then you've got the last four teams in. And typically two of those last four teams are going to play in a play-in game to get in the NCAA tournament. So you have a play-in game between two 11 seeds. You have a play-in game between two 16 seeds. So you've got two of those teams in that last four in that will play in the play-in game. Then you've got last four buys, meaning that they avoid the play-in game. They're on the bubble, but they avoid having to worry about playing in a 11 versus 11 seed uh, matchup. Auburn, according to Joe Lenardi and CBS, is in that last four buys. According to Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology update this morning, Auburn is the final team in that last four buys category. Meaning, depending on what happens around Auburn on the bubble, Auburn will probably drop to the last four in with a loss tonight against Alabama. Maybe not with a close loss against Alabama, but even with a close loss, they still might drop, uh, according to Joe Lenardi, into that last four in category and would be at risk of playing in a play-in game. Part of that is because of what happened. Boise State won a game last night against a quad one opponent. That moved Boise State up. They were in either the last four out or in the last four in category, so they leapfrogged Auburn because they got another quad one win that dropped Auburn down. So you can see how it's not just what you do, but also what teams do around you that affect you in in the tournament. I mentioned that the bubble is weak this year, and that's been beneficial to Auburn. So I've been really cheering for the teams on the bubble to lose. Uh, and we need we need those teams to lose. Boise State came up with a big win last night, so that's why Auburn kind of dropped compared to where they were yesterday, even in, in bracketology. And again, we don't know this for sure. These bracketologists, like Joe Lenardi for ESPN, are very, very good at what they do. We don't know for sure that this is how it'll turn out, but they, these are their projections on, on where Auburn would stand. However, if Auburn's able to pull off the upset tonight or they're able to pull off the upset on Saturday, they'll be in the tournament, point blank. They will be in the tournament. That will give them another quad one win uh, against a a major opponent, in, if it's either Alabama or it's Tennessee, and that will do enough. Bruce Pearl said that yesterday in his press conference. He said yesterday that he was going to lay out all the possibilities to this Auburn basketball team, from not making the tournament to, to winning both of these games against Alabama and Tennessee to winning one of these games against Alabama and to Tennessee. You know, he was going to lay out every every possible scenario that could happen to this team the rest of the way. The worst-case scenario is Auburn doesn't make the NCAA tournament. Really, the worst-case scenario is finishing out the season 0-2. If Auburn finishes the season losing to Bama and to Tennessee, I don't think they make the tournament. I just don't. There's a possibility. I think some metrics say even Auburn still has a 60% chance to make the tournament if they lose the final two games. And so you may be saying, okay, well, what if they lose these final two games and they win one game? They win the first round, their first game in the, of the SEC tournament. Well, that's probably going to be against a quad two or three opponent. That's not going to move the needle. It won't move the needle at all. And really, the tournaments have not had much of a factor, as I said before, on NCAA tournament seeding or even getting in unless you win it. A&M last year should have been in the tournament, in my opinion. They went on a run. They got quad one wins in the tournament. They beat Auburn last year, a major quad one win. It didn't matter. Uh, Texas A&M still did not get in to the NCAA tournament because they didn't win the SEC tournament. 
So even if Auburn were to maybe, maybe they pull off an upset in the NCAA tournament and they get a quad one win against an A&M or, or, or a Kentucky or an Alabama or Tennessee in the NCAA, in the SEC tournament, would that be enough? Maybe. But if Auburn does not win one of these final two games tonight or on Saturday, I'm not banking on them being able to win a big one in the SEC tournament and that being enough. Maybe it would be. But I certainly don't think it would be enough just because, oh, I won a game in the SEC tournament against a team I'm supposed to, to beat, therefore I'm in now, even though I lost however many straight to finish out the regular season, or however many uh, you know losses I had, not straight, but to finish out the season. I just don't think that's going to be enough. There may be some that disagree with me on that. They still, they'll still have a chance. I just personally don't think they'll be able to get in if they don't win one of these final two regular season games, unless... They make a run in the SEC tournament, which is always possible. Uh, so a lot of pressure. Suffice to say, a lot of pressure on this Auburn team. I don't see this team winning tonight against Alabama. Uh, if they're going to win, they're going to have to play their best basketball. I, it does, I, you don't have to be a, a genius to know that. This Alabama team is very good. One of the best in the country, if not the best. Auburn had their chance, in my opinion, at home to win and to knock off Alabama. They they played them very well. It was a back-and-forth game. They wore down. They stopped making shots there at the end. We we recapped that game. I covered that game. We all know how it ended. The final five minutes were, were just bad. They were just bad. Auburn was not able to finish it, uh, that game. That was their opportunity, in my opinion. I just don't think, going into Tuscaloosa, this Auburn team is going to be able to pull off the win tonight. But if they were able to pull off the upset, here's how it would happen. I think Auburn's going to have to shoot extremely well. I think they're going to have to shoot around 40% from three, knock down some tough shots. I think Janai Broom's going to have to go off. I thought he was going to have a big game against Alabama their first time around. the first time around. It didn't happen. Part of that was some foul trouble. He has to have a big night. I think he can. Alabama's shown some weakness defending in the paint. If he has a big night where he has a double-double, he has around 20 points, Auburn might have a chance. They shoot well and he plays really well, uh, Auburn might have a chance. Auburn has to turn Bama over. I mentioned before, Bama does a lot of things well. They will turn the ball over because of the pace that they play. If Auburn's able to turn Bama over 15-plus times and be able to capitalize off those turnovers and score in transition, they'll have a chance. Despite all that, if Bama comes out and they knock down 12 threes, it probably still won't matter. So Auburn has to defend the, the three-point line well again. I think you got to stick with the similar game plan you had first time around. Say, if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us in the paint. You're not going to beat us from three. Continue to stick like glue on Brandon Miller if you're Alan Flanagan. And hopefully defend the paint better, but take away the three-pointers uh, from Bama. Defend the three-point line and just give yourselves a chance, get to the free throw line. Cannot uh, emphasize that enough. That was another issue late in that game in Auburn. Auburn was not able to get to the free throw line. That's going to be important in this game. It comes down to Auburn's best players having good games. Wendell Green, Alan Flanagan, Jalen Williams, Jani Broom. They've got to play well. Auburn's guards have to play well. This team lives and dies by Wendell Green. He, he helped Auburn get that victory. Without him, Auburn may not win that game against Ole Miss. He also had a horrible game against Kentucky. What he does tonight will go a long way. 
Look, I'm I'm saying Bama is good enough to where if they're on their A game and Auburn plays their A game, Bama still wins. But Auburn doesn't even have a shot if they're not on their A game. So it it's unlikely. But if Auburn were to pull off the upset tonight, those are some of the things that I would look for uh, to have to happen. And uh, hopefully it does. I hope it does. That would be awesome. It would solidify uh, Auburn's tournament chances. They wouldn't have to do anything else the rest of the season. As far as to get in the NCAA tournament, it would be a huge win. I would argue one of the biggest wins uh, of the Bruce Pearl era just because of what's on the line, who you're playing it against. Uh, it would be big. Don't see it happening, but it would be a lot of fun. It would be exciting. Uh, so we'll see. But I think it's all going to come down to Saturday's game at Tennessee. And I'm going to preview that game to close out the show when we get back here on Talking Tumors. Stay tuned here on Weagle 91.1. Why is Connor having trouble focusing in school? Having trouble finding Connor. Saturday inside of Neville Arena in what could be the biggest game of the year in Neville Arena because of what could be on the line depending on the result of tonight's game. We as students are on spring break. Friday's our last uh, school day, if you will, uh, or day of classes before spring break, and students have to be out of the dorms by 9 a.m. on Saturday. I hope, I sincerely hope, that this does not affect the amount of students that are in the jungle for what is going to be an extremely important game. I'll be covering the game, so make sure you're following me on social media. It, a lot's going to be online. I'm nervous about Saturday. Um, if Auburn does not win tonight, like I said, I don't expect them to. It's going to be a big game. I think Auburn can win this game. I think Auburn will win this game on Saturday, but it's not going to be easy. We saw this first round, this first time these two teams played. Both teams are very good defensively. Both teams struggle to knock down shots. I would not expect a 40-something to 40-something game again. I would expect there to be a lot more points this time around. Important note for Tennessee, Zakai Ziegler, their point guard, went down with an injury last night. Uh... Early, early in the game, did not look good. I certainly uh, wish him the best. Um, that is a big loss for Tennessee. A very, very good player. Phenomenal guard, one of the best point guards in the SEC. How that affects his Tennessee team? Well, last night they still went on to win by 18, but it certainly will have a big effect on them, I have no doubt. We'll see what they do at point guard. Santiago Vescovi has been playing the point guard. He's been He's a starting two guard and then plays the point guard when Ziegler was out, so I assume he'll move back to the starting point guard role, which he has been a starting point guard in the past for Tennessee. He'll do well there, very good defensively, very good shooter. How that affects Auburn on Saturday, I don't know. Uh, like I said, if Vescovy's on Wendell Green, that's going to be a tough matchup. Uh, Vescovy's a great defender. It's going to be tough to get uh, Wendell where he wants to be and get him going possibly offensively, but he's going to have to figure out a way to. Whatever that is, he has to play well. But Tennessee right now, I mentioned them being a, a good three-point shooting team, but last night they got a lot of their points in the paint. Uh, Josiah Jordan-James had been injured for Tennessee, and so had Julian Phillips. They both returned last night. Tennessee dominated in the paint. Auburn can't let that happen at all. They have got to own uh, the paint on both ends of the court, and they got to defend the three well again against Tennessee uh, just because they didn't shoot it well or didn't take, they really didn't take that many shots uh, last night. 
just because they didn't in that game doesn't mean that they won't on Saturday. Uh, so defensively, like the Alabama game, you got to go with a similar game plan. It's your first time around. Uh, possibly some changes. I don't know. You may make some changes defensively because of Ziegler uh, possibly being out. I, I don't know that for sure. Uh, we'll see how how all that works uh, there again. This just happened last night. But a similar game plan. And offensively, Auburn got a lot of good looks the first time around, too, in the second half. They didn't in the first half. In the second half, they did. But they couldn't figure out how to still get the ball to Janai Broom. Start of that game, they did. And that's been a reoccurring theme. It happened in Kentucky game as well. Defensive Defenses adjust. The staff has got to figure out how to adjust back to that. How do we still get the ball to Jalen Williams? How do we still get the ball to Janai Broom? When defenses know that's what we want to do, and they're going to take that away. That's what Auburn has to figure out to consistently be able to get it in the paint and get Jalen Williams and Janai Broom good looks throughout the entirety of the game. That's going to be important on Saturday. I think Auburn wins it, but it's going to be a tense Neville Arena on Saturday, assuming Auburn loses tonight to Alabama. If they if they win the game tonight against Alabama, then all bets are off. Play free. Go out there and try to see if we can get a win and maybe jump up a spot or two as far as seeding goes with back-to-back wins against quad one opponents to finish off the season. Wouldn't that be a storytelling ending to the regular season after what's been a brutal back-half uh, stretch? And just a comment real quick. Look, there's been a lot of hate on Auburn from national pundits and all that. This schedule that Auburn has played shouldn't have ever been allowed. It is straight brutal. I mean brutal. This second half, yes, the first half of the season was easy. It should have been more balanced. It should have been a more balanced schedule for the way things turned out. The fact that Auburn's had to play Bama twice, Tennessee twice, play Kentucky, A&M twice, it... Now, Auburn's also, you got to argue, well, they should have been able to pull off an upset at some point. That's fair. Absolutely. But they, it, it is also, they've been put in a tough spot. They did the best they could to put themselves in the best position by winning games they were supposed to win for the most part in the first half of their schedule because it is it has gone as bad as it possibly could have. The worst-case scenario that you could think of, it has happened. Now, will it continue to happen these last two games? That's to be That's to be seen. It's going to be two weeks before we're back because spring break next week. When we return, the fate will be determined for Auburn basketball. Are they in? Are they out? Hopefully they're in and we're previewing their first-round matchup. That's my hope. But like I said, fate will be determined. Baseball will be almost um, a few days away from opening up their first SEC series. Spring football will take the week off for spring break, so there won't be a ton of developments on that end. But suffice to say, a lot will have occurred in Auburn sports, so make sure you're following me on social media. I'll try to have some thoughts on Auburn on there, and as I mentioned, I will be covering the game on Saturday, so look for my article on Weagle FM following the Tennessee game Saturday. Hope you all have a wonderful two weeks. Thank you all for tuning in to Talking Tumors, and we'll be back in two weeks. Thank you for listening to Talkin' Tumors. Make sure to tune in again next Wednesday at 10 for another edition. Also, make sure to check out Weagle's 24-hour live stream on WeagleFM.com and follow us on social media at Weagle underscore AU. War Eagle and see you next time.